Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Sunday morning. This is Health Healing in Hampton Roads. I am Dr. Felicia Mebbin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the Norfolk State University. I am so excited to have our guest here today, and our topic is health. Now, you're probably saying, well, you know, it's, it's called Health Healing in Hampton Roads. Of course, the topic is health. Mm. But this might not be the way that you would normally think about it, so we're going to explore. So I am super excited to have as my guest Ms. Jackie Scott, right? Would you say your first name for me? My first name, which my mother labored for, is Jacqueline Scott, but I can see Jackie. Nice. Thank you very much. I'm not the best with names, I have to admit. So tell us a little bit about your connections to Hampton Roads, and I know that there are a lot, so I'm excited for you to share that. Well, number one, I was born here. Uh, number two... Uh, after matriculating through the one and only Booger T. Washington High School, I decided that I wanted to go to college because, frankly, I did not feel like working. Uh oh, And my okay. father had a rule. After you finish high school, after you finished high school, work, military, or college, I could not drive. So that meant I had to get up 5 o'clock in the morning to catch the bus. That ruled that out. Okay. Military, I was 98 pounds, so that ruled that out. And a woman at that time, <laughs> and, too, right? And a woman at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But, frankly, quite a, that was a, the age that women were becoming more aggressive and going in different fields, though. Okay. Um, but I decided... Norfolk State is right here. My sister Gwendolyn, some of you know her as Gwendolyn Farr. My sister Gwendolyn was here. Now, she's the brains in the family. Okay. <laughs> I decided, well, you know what? I'm going to call. I'm going to try college. So that's, that's what I did, and that's what got me to Norfolk State, which best choice I ever made. Behold. Yes, the green and gold. None of the, it prepared me because, as I share with you, I married, had a baby, and I followed uh, my child's father to Syracuse University, where he got a full scholarship. We call full ride. Mm -hmm. I know the colloquialism. Okay, he got a full ride to, <laughs> to uh, get a, a master's in business administration. And at that time, there were probably thirty-five black. MBAs in the country. Wow. So it was a great opportunity. So, and I had the opportunity to, they said they wouldn't ensure that I would get in Syracuse University to, to finish my uh, education. And um, hmm, not being a great student of birth control, started back to Syracuse and I got sick one day and went to the stu uh, student infirmary. And they came back with the wonderful news, Mrs. Scott, you are pregnant. And I won't say what I said. Okay. But anyway, anyway, I had my second child. And after that, I went back to school and I finished Syracuse uh, with a bachelor's degree in sociology in 1972. And their father, my then husband, uh, had already had a job because the stipulation was they were going to pay for your Ph.D. work as well. And so we moved to Flint, Michigan, and worked, uh, he worked with General Motors Institute. Then fast forward, fast, fast forward, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I became a single parent with four children. I'm Catholic, by the way. <laughs> you Catholics will know what that means. Okay. <laughs> okay. And um, 
had to get a job, wanted a job. I had always intended to have a, a, a career in social work and humanities. So uh, I got hired at Portsmouth Social Services as a social work trainee. Now, let me take you all back, because back in the day, when you went into the field of social work, you had to take what's called the state merit exam. So it was this terror, you know how they do about exams, mm -hmm, formalized mm -hmm. exams. You know, it's so hard, it's so hard. So I went down to Virginia Employment Agency. That's where you would take your exam, the merit exam. And when I got home, uh, my husband said, well, how did it go? I said, it was okay. Because we have been hearing about this terrible thing. Well, I may not be the brightest light bulb in the room, but I always had a thing for standardized tests. Oh, okay. So I aced it. Nice. Because <laughs> I, do I don't know why my brain works that way, but I, I was like, I read it because I've, I've always loved reading. Math is my weakness, it's true, but reading, and I was great with what we used to call reading with comprehension, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I was always great with that. Got hired um, and retired from there. I literally went each step. I came in as a social work trainee, and when there was time and uh, a job available, I was promoted to social worker. And then I went from social worker to senior social worker, and then from senior social worker to a uh, supervisor. And then we had a position called um, chief of services. So I retired as chief of services. I literally took one rung of the ladder at a time. And I was sitting home enjoying retirement, and I got a call asking if I'd be interested in coming back part-time uh, as, as a director of the agency, and I did. And then about a year, I was asked, you really like this job, don't you? And I said, yeah, I, I did. So I was uh, given the job permanent. Not good. You earned it. Okay. So <laughs> let's back up just a little bit. You said so many amazing things, and I'm just really glad that you've shared your story mm -hmm. because stories are so inspirational. So all the folks out there listening who want to help folks, you know, this, you know, listen mm -hmm. to her story and be inspired because it's amazing. But one of the things I do want to take as a little bit of a teachable mm -hmm. moment is part of the reason I'm excited to have you here is because health is about physical yes. and mental well-being. And I think sometimes the folks who are leaders on the ground providing services don't necessarily have health in their title. Mm -hmm. So it's really great to showcase you had, what, a sociology degree Correct. and then social work training. Right. And then you provide services mm -hmm. that help folks to again, live their better lives right. and, and affects their health and well-being. So that's amazing. Yes. And that's an excellent point because the field of social work, you may get caught up in the scientific part of it, the research and all of that, but if you're actually practicing social work, you are dealing daily not only with mental health, with physical health. Mm -hmm. So as a social worker, you... And, and and I I did this, so I'm not telling you what you should do. Continuously read. I continuously read periodicals, Reader's Digest, looked at the uh, programs on PBS and things like that. So you will be aware. Now, case in point is when the AIDS epidemic hit. Mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. in the what seventy like eighties, eighties. Read some information. And I was in a unit that dealt with helping with emergencies. 
And I'll never forget, I don't know if this young man is, is still living at this point in time, but because I'm not using any names, um, this young man I met because he was working at a place that I was visiting. He came in for uh, basically housing because he lost his job. Mm. You know, with the AIDS epidemic, people were getting really crazy mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. discriminating. There was a lot of okay. stigma. Exactly. A lot of- uh, lack of knowledge exactly. <laughs> about transfer and those types of things. Yes. Mm-hmm. He came in. He, It was sad because he and his wife split up. She tested uh, negative. Mm-hmm. So they split up. They had two children. And he came in for some emergency assistance, literally getting a food, what we call a food voucher, because he had found someone where to live. So I happened to be the one to interview him to assess his situation, and I told him I remembered him. And so when he got up to leave, um, I hugged him. Hmm. And he was shocked. He said, Miss Scott, you hugged me. I said, yes. I said, I know it's not professional. I said, but I got the sense that you need a mother's hug. Wow. That's medicine, okay? Because so many times with illnesses and diseases, you do think of the uh, how it attacks your body. But mentally, it attacks you as well. Mm-hmm. So if I, I didn't have the credentials to treat him medically, mm-hmm. but I had the skill set to teach him emotionally and give him that hug he needed. I um, remember one time I had to visit a gentleman's home, mm-hmm. and I forgot what his illness was. Uh, but I just went in, I did the interview, and I gave him what medicine can't give you. I gave him respect. Wow. And he was terminal. Before he died, and I still have it in my personal belongings, and because we're, again, talking about, no, we're talking about the 70s then. Uh, he sent, he wrote me a card and put a little token of a chain or something in it. And he said the same thing. Thank you for the respect you gave me. You visited my home. You sat down. You didn't act like you were going to catch something mm-hmm. if you sat down. Mm-hmm. And that comes from not only giving respect, but do your research. If you know you're going to do a visit and then talking to your social work majors out there. <laughs> or potential social potential, work majors, right? Yes. As well, right? <laughs> do your homework. Because what you owe people when you're in public service you owe them the dignity and respect of humanity. So the less fear you have and the more educated you are about health issues, the same thing with worked in foster care for years. Mm-hmm. It has changed a lot as far as the focus, and but kids are still hurting, the teens in particular. This young lady um, ran track and I was a supervisor at the time, so I did not have a caseload, but I was filling in. And that's another thing. You fill in. That's what life is all about. When humankind is hurting, you fill in. Mm -hmm. You don't say, oh, that's not in my job description. You fill in. And I went to, she had a track meet at the high school, and most of her peers did not know she was in foster care. So when I showed up, she said, you came. She says, what? I said, just play it off. Just play it off. Tell me I'm your auntie. You know, we all have aunties. <laughs> You're right. And so she got excited. My auntie is here. 
what do parents do or grandparents do after track meet? They come over, they slip that grandchild or that parent, I mean, or, or that child, a little piece of money. Okay, you're all going out. And that's what I did. I went over, I said, baby, come here. Mm-hmm. Look, you all getting ready to go out for burgers. Here's some change for you. She's like, thank you, thank you. That's amazing. That's, that, I love that. That's what you do. I can say a lot of people don't associate the field of social work with health, but we are frankly social workers pretty much are at the forefront because you don't realize. And he's talking to my teenagers now because you all can say some cutting things because I have teenage grandchildren. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm just <laughs> so, but keep in mind that look at, look, I tell people, look in the eyes of the person. Look in the eyes and they will direct you. Forget they talking nasty or whatever, telling you to get the H out of my face oh, and all okay. that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, look in their eyes. That's what they're telling you. That's their story. The other thing is defense mechanism. Had to go one night uh, doing night call, child protective services night call. I was a supervisor, but I still had to go. And I'll never forget, it was domestic violence. It was domestic violence. And I remember thinking, I have kids at home. Mm. I don't need to be in this. Mm -hmm. But when you train as a professional, just like when you go on the front line for COVID, and I admire those people because they are parents, grandparents. Frankly, it's a hard pill to swallow, but you have got to step back from that role. I took the wife and dealt with her, and the police officer took the husband mm-hmm. and dealt with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And thank God we were on the same sheet page, as it said. We were thinking, these two people are hurting. And they have small children here. And if we're going to leave them here, we have to de-escalate this. We have to determine what started this and why are they really hurting. Right, right. That's, again, you have the most amazing stories. There are echoes of what you say in conversation right now, like not just echoes. There is a focus in public health and social work and social services right now on a variety of things Mm -hmm. that you said, right? It is very interesting to me because I think sometimes we get so focused on that formal training, getting the degree, Mm -hmm. and there's, you know, I have the degree, so Mm -hmm. I know what that's about. Um, But, and sometimes I think we forget. We put more distance between ourselves because we learn, as you said, all these ideas and concepts. Mm -hmm. And I love the emphasis that you have on that. Don't forget these are people. And if you treat them as people and with respect, then that helps them to have a better experience. It helps you to put those degrees, I think, to better use, right? Because you are connecting with people in an effective way. But I guess one of the challenges is how do we, you know, help people to get there on that? And there's been a lot of discussion around that. But I'll also say another emphasis in the discussion, obviously, is diversity, right? Like we need professionals who have different experiences, who have different skin tones, who have yes. who come from different parts of the country and all of that, young people, older people, because 
the more variety of people we have in these workplaces where we have our health professionals, they can relate to each other, they can learn. So when that person comes into their space to give care, they can relate to them Mm -hmm. better. But then when we walk in as a black woman, when I walk in and there's another black woman, I there are ways that I can connect that other people can't. Right. So it's just so, so important that we ensure as a community and as individuals, you know, we hold healthcare professionals, social work professionals, all of our professionals accountable for making those connections. Oh, definitely. Never assume. I I remember several years ago, I was, uh, I I love doing workshops. I love going to workshops and and the presenters, 95% of the time, I have attended excellent workshops, and I have to say Norfolk State School of Social Work has been provider of so many. But I'll never forget, we were over at um, what is now called middle school, but it, that doesn't even exist anymore. But we were at a workshop, and it was a school building, and there was another program, and um, I'm making an assumption based on the conversation I heard. When we were walking out, it was, it was a workshop that really dealt with fatherhood. Okay. Okay. And in particular, black fatherhood. And when we were walking out, a group of ladies who were in another training program were walking down the hall and they looked into the classroom and they saw primarily African-American males. These, again, African-American females. And this lady walked past and loudly said, I don't need a father for my child. I said, Jackie, count to 10 because that's none of your business. <laughs> of course, that didn't stop me. <laughs> so, but number one, when you are going to, I don't like using the word confront, okay? Mm-hmm. But when, when you're going to talk to someone about something they say, mm-hmm. say it, that's like that strong statement, never talk to them with that group, okay? Because our ego is going to make us, oh, how dare you come up on me? Right. So I asked her to come here a minute. I said, come here a minute. And fortunately, I was old enough to be her mother. So I said, don't ever say and keep embedded in your mind that your son does not need a father and you don't need a man in your life to father your child. Mm -hmm. I said, that comes from you are hurting. I said, you can cuss me out right now. I said, no, you look at me like you want to cuss me out. I understand that. I said, but especially with a son. Your son needs a father. Now, it's one thing to say the father is not ready to be a father, but your son needs a father. She got mad. It wasn't a happy ending. But because I gave her respect, I like to think that she internalized that. Um, um, I can't. Even, Dr. Tyrone Davis does a fatherhood program, and he asked me when I was work, went back to work to speak to the class. The class was graduating. I said, "I told you, I don't want women in there. I want all men." He says, "No, come in." And I said, "Okay, let me pull something that I want to share with you all." These young guys, some of them are older. I said, "Let me." And we talked about children needing fathers, and we talked about males in particular needing fathers. I said, let me, let me share something with you. I said, I started this when I went back as uh, director, S- Social Work 101. 
when you social workers when you walk out the building and you see parents or caregivers walking with children it's a big parking lot no one is holding the child's hand i'm not talking about 10 12 year old i'm talking about three four year old Mm -hmm. something we can do very low-key intervention just go up to the person, gently remind them, this is a big parking lot. Do you mind holding your little boy's hand? So I shared this with the fathers. I said, no, no big PhD degree. Hold your little boy's hand. Hold your little girl's hand. And we got to talking about something else. And I said, the other thing that disturbed me, this was a toddler, and he had sagging pants. And so the guy said, well, what's wrong with that? I said, because whether that little black boy goes into a classroom with a pre-K or kindergarten teacher who's Mm. black, white, Hispanic, or whatever, there is perception 101. If a kid pre-K or kindergarten can come in with sagging pants, prison to pipeline mentality clicks in. Right. Right, and unfortunately, we, that that's what we have to deal with, right? It's like yes. it's not our preference, it's not fair, it's not equitable or anything, but that's something to think about. And then you can make a choice. I mean, you know, some people make exactly. the choice that this is my choice, it's mm-hmm. fashion, this is what I want to do. But I do think it's helpful to think in advance about right. some of the possible implications of that, given what we have to deal with. Exactly. People don't realize you have implications. Um I mean, I do, but do I verbalize them or I try not to let you see it in my face, but everybody tells me I have a very expressive face. Yeah, same here. (laughs) So, but social work, I I like people who I feel have the talent for it to get the formal training. But what I don't like as as well is people who don't have the heart for it, who, well, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Okay. Right, 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 right. I, you know, that came to mind because the approach that you're talking about, I was thinking everybody might not be suited for that or want to approach it that way. No. Everyone is LCSW. LCSW. Uh, okay. I'm an MSW. Okay. I have a good friend, and she'll know who I'm going to call her name. <laughs> She's closely associated with NSU as well. She always reminds me and I laugh about it and I didn't she I didn't intend to be to sound this way but she came to work with us as a student intern I think that's what she started out but she ended up working with us excellent she's a wonderful person she's she reminds me Jackie when I came in to be interviewed uh to do um my internship and I was sitting there and I was telling you about my credentials and you said and Mm-hmm. Because, yes, it's good to have the formal training. But remember the term, what have you done for me lately, baby? Mm-hmm. What have you done? Because before you, if you're going in an interview and it's based on your credentials, you should have been able to demonstrate to me within two minutes why you have those credentials. Because once you... You show me, you don't even have to tell me what you have. Because if I'm going to hire you, number one, when you walk through the door for the interview, it's already, you're determined you have the credentials. 
what will determine whether or not you be hired is if I say to that gentleman sitting over there, I introduce you as the candidate, and I say, well, he's the director of the agency, and um, I am a supervisor. And then you commence, as they used to say, to talk to the director of the agency, and I've already let you know I'm the one who's going to supervise you. Mm-hmm. So that tells me a little bit where your head is, okay? Uh, it's, it's just, you know, when my daughter told me about this, I didn't want to come, I'm be honest. <laughs> I was I'm like, glad she convinced you. <laughs> I'm like, I really don't want to do this. But I now, you have put it together, you put the package together for me. So you, what you have when I leave here, you have an advocate, okay? Oh, I'll assure you, Thank you have you. an advocate because now sitting here with this therapy session, <laughs> <laughs> I am more well-equipped to go out because I still engage people and I just don't sit around with seniors. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I try to be around all ages of humankind, okay? And uh, I have just... I want to, you know, I hope we're getting close to the end <laughs> because I'm running out. No, you're good. No, no, no. You know, you're, you're fabulous. So let me help you out here. That's my job. Thank you. <laughs> but again, I, I love having you here because it's, it's great. I think we have to go a little bit back to it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. So when you were talking about yes. being in the parking lot, you know, in this day and age, people aren't quite as open to strangers walking up to them and saying things, right? right? And so I think um, there's some... I don't know, maybe there are things that we can do to help build back a sense of mm-hmm. community so that um, people can t- hear from their aunties who may not be related to them, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, some of this type of advice. I also think, again, it's it, the emphasis on what's not technical, what's not medical in terms of health, the health of our communities, mm-hmm. the, health of, health, the health of our groups is amazing. So you've talked a little bit, I mean, you took it there a little bit with the position. Talk a little bit about what we might be able to do that isn't the one-on-one. So you've had the director position. Mm-hmm. You supervise the directors. Mm-hmm. Um, what what would be sort of a, a, a final sort of thought process about what can we do in terms of policies or things that would have helped our, our communities in general? Okay, this, is, this may sound like a cop-out, but it really isn't because, trust me, this is because I've been sitting home in retirement and read and I read and I observe. Simply put, every morning or night, if you have a night job, when you get up, when you wake up to face the day or the night, I am a human being first. I have feelings. I have fears. And I am not the only human being on this earth. So guess what? That human being, when I walk out my front door, probably woke up with the same fears and feelings. And we're in a world now that we're dealing with something, especially for my generation, we never, ever dealt with before. COVID. Now we're into a, a big uh, debate over abortion. It's, it is so much going to gun violence. I, as a 73-year-old, never envisioned we would be in 2022 being faced with what we're being faced with. Mm -hmm. 
So I would say this is real simple. This is so simple. Don't kick me out the studio. Get enough sleep. Drink enough water. Eat a lot less sugar and fat so that biologically you're setting yourself up to act with common sense. Because if you don't treat your body healthy in a health, healthy fashion, if you don't give your brain something to work with other than that picking up that cell phone, and I don't know how these kids go from game to game to game, that makes you ADHD because your brain is constantly flipping. You're not realizing it. Oh. it. It doesn't help you to focus because you're constantly flipping, flipping, flipping. So you have got to make a concerted effort. And the adults have to take the ownership because you're sending a message to your kids. Focus. This is really not easy to say. Take a deep breath. Drink plenty of water. I don't want to hear, I don't like water. Drink plenty of water. Cut down on your fat intake. Cut down on your sugar intake. And we're going to wind it up by saying and have a good night's sleep. There you go. Sometimes the most <laughs> basic things you've been told all your life are the things that we need to be doing, whether it's starting for as an individual and adding up to how that helps mm -hmm. us as a community. So I want to thank you so much for mm -hmm. being part of our program community now. You have been amazing, Ms. Scott. It's been wonderful. And I want to thank all of our listeners out there as well. Again, I am Dr. Felicia Mebbin, and this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads.